If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals, chief goals. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive with the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. TJ Rosine here. Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. Excited to talk a little March Madness today. We're going to dive into some things that you can be learning or should be looking for from the coach's perspective. If you're looking to get better during this tournament, which I always do, I always watch these games and they're a lot of fun. But I also know that some of the best of the best are playing. Some of the best coaches are out there coaching. What can I learn from this tournament? So before we get started, let's get a shout out to our friends over at Shot Tracker. Uh, what gets measured gets done. And specifically, I'm going to talk about in the first thing that we can be watching for are some stats that I learned about from our friends over at Shot Tracker. Um, and one of the one of the stats that I, I really find uh, really interesting, and, and uh, when I was at Shot Tracker, they explained all the different stats and where stats can lie, where stats can tell the truth. And if you ever get a chance, go check out Shot Tracker. Um, look at the different things that you can you can measure, and you measure just about anything and everything with Shot Tracker, and they do it uh, really efficiently. Uh, but here's when I was in Kansas City with some of the things that I was learning from them. Uh, and one of what we all probably are familiar with is effective field goal percentage. Uh, that's one where um, it's, just, it's a statistic that adjusts field goal percentage to account for the fact that the three-point goals count for three points while field goals only count for two points. So another simple way to say that is if you were to shoot ten threes um, and you made three of them, you would get nine points, but you would only be shooting 30%. Uh, and if you were to make um, three twos out of ten, you would only get six points. So you'd obviously be shooting 30% from the two and from the three, but you'd be getting more points because you took threes that are worth more points. So you'd adjust the field goal percentage uh, for that to be able to make sense. So I saw um, our friend Adrian Mills. He, he tweeted out a really interesting one, and he said through the first um, first round of games, so that's 32 basketball games. And Adrian, thanks for sharing that uh, the team that had won the um, had won the category of efficient field goal percentage and turnover percentage was 15 and 0 in those games so if you were winning those two things so turnover percentage is the percentage of turnovers you have uh, for number of percent uh, possessions so for instance if you had 100 possessions and you turned it over two times that would be two percent uh, if you turned over 10 that would be 10 percent so any team that won both of those efficient field goal percentage and turnover percentage was 15 and 0 in the tournament and I thought that was a really interesting uh, uh, statistic and, and it, and it uh, is really one of those things if you're watching as a coach you're always looking for what statistics really do win and for a lot of people you've been looking for these for years for some people statistics are new and you're trying to figure out which ones you should be looking at shouldn't be looking at uh, one example that I've given a few times that I used to look at a lot of times at halftime was how many offensive rebounds did we have how many did they have and then I started finding out that that statistic can be a little bit misleading. You know, if we missed uh, 20 shots and we rebounded, uh, offense rebounded 10 of them, we're um, rebounding 50% of our misses, which is a pretty good number. And vice versa, if we held the other te team to 40 misses and uh, they rebounded 15, they have more offensive rebounds than us. 
but they've rebounded at a lower percentage. So being being aware of how percentages play in there, and um, and that's where it really comes into play with the three point ball and adjusted field goal percentage, and it, it tells you how different the game has become. Uh, because you're able to look at a field, uh, field goals differently, and the three-point has become a great equalizer in the game of basketball. But the first thing was that, that stat right there. I mean, if you're taking care of the basketball and getting good shots and shooting a high field goal percentage, you really got a chance to win. But you got to keep this in, in mind. Um, that works both ways. All you had to do is win the efficient field goal percentage and the turnover percentage. It didn't say you had to shoot the ball lights out. And if you go look across the board at the um, first weekend of the NCAA tournament, you look at these, there's a lot of people throwing up 31, 34, 35 field goal percentage um, defense. They're really holding people low. So it's not that they're uh, staggering, scoring the ball. In fact, only two games reached the 90s, and both of those games were lopsided blowouts. So a lot of these games were played in the 60s. And when you, if you notice over the years when we do get to the tournament time, a lot of games in the 60s and the 70s, but a lot of teams below what they scored in the regular season. And we've talked about it before. There's so many reasons. You know, they, they get this time to scout. They know each other. You have 30 games in their body of work to figure out what the other team does. You're also playing the best of the best. They're scouting you well. They're knowing your tendencies. They've got good players as well. So the, the, the playing field balances out a little bit. But as a coach, one of the things you can take away from that is, is, is really starting to care about your adjusted field goal percentage and figuring out how you're going to use the three ball. So, for instance, if you really want to go out there and, um, and shoot a lot of threes and uh, live and die by the three, it's not, not the end of, of, of the world. It's going to be a philosophy I've seen win. Uh, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. We've said that before. But you have to be mindful of that. Like, what does that do to my efficiency, my field goal percentage, and, um, and vice versa? What am I doing on the other end to get that up so a lot of times if your team is 35 percent from the three point uh three point line and the other team is is 35 percent um you know you're about equal then it comes down to who's shooting more and then you got to factor in all the other things you know two pointers and and free throws but you have to kind of decide how you want to win and um, how you're going to use the three and you're watching over the tournament a lot of these teams i think are using the three as a weapon uh but they're also uh, you know keeping it pretty balanced and not just living and dying by that and a lot of times you hear when these teams walk into these huge arenas and they don't shoot the ball very well if they've been living by that uh sometimes they can struggle with it and in you know minnesota in their first round shot lights out i felt pretty good about it uh, they were not a good shooting team during the the tournament they came out in game two and they kind of stuck with it and probably shot too many threes got away from what they typically do to win um got behind a little bit and kept fire in there and, and then had a um a loss in round two um in, in that second game where they weren't able to maintain that shooting uh but teams that maintain the defense teams that shoot a good field goal percentage teams that take care of the ball uh win this time of year because possessions are at a premium you're only going to have so many possessions over the course of the game, and you're going to be guarded well, and they're going to guard you well. Um, if you notice, you know, point number two would be the way teams defend here. I mean, I, all kinds of 31, 34, 33, 37, 39% from the field. Teams holding te- uh, to other teams under 40% on the regular in the tournament because you don't just get to this point and you don't keep advancing at this point. And it's been that way for years. And I think it's one of the reasons Tom Izzo's teams are always there. Um, if you can defend and most teams, when they get down to that sweet 16, elite eight, even really just 64 teams in the tournament, they can defend. Um, they don't give up. If you're watching the game, 
How many times does somebody actually just drive and get a layup? This time of year with the best of the best, it doesn't happen very much. They do get layups, but not many uncontested layups. This time of year, the best of the best don't miss many rotations. There's always a body, and they're making you shoot the ball over that body. Um, occasionally, you know, you'll get them on a drop-off, on a rotation uh, that they miss when they stepped over. But you're not typically going to get the first guy who drives the ball a read at the rim without some sort of contest. Uh, this time of year, teams are, are not missing many of those. And a lot of the times, they're not missing the help, the helper either. They're chipping down where they decide to take away the three or they decide to take away the two. They're getting to those rotations. So players are going to have to become better readers in these situations. You're going to have to make more reads. You need more high-level offensive players to score. And we see how difficult that is because you see all these teams shooting in the low 30s and the mid 30s and the field goal percentage. Making reads is not easy, especially when you have a lot of young freshmen in the tournament. Um, you're watching some of these teams. Um, I've just watched uh, Duke squeak by game of UCF, and uh, in, a lot of these teams' philosophy is to pack it in and make you beat them over the top. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, when we get back, well, first of all, we're going to get a shout-out and a communication tip of the day from our friends over at Team Snap. Thanks to our friends over Team Snap for today's halftime communication tip. This week, coaches, I want to challenge you to communicate all the way through. Make sure you follow through on your communication this week. Just like shooting, there's a lot of different elements of communication. But just like shooting, if you don't finish strong or if you don't follow through, it doesn't really matter where your feet placement were, where the ball placement were. You've got to put it all together. Same goes for communication. So often, part of the reason miscommunication exists is because the communicator just doesn't do that final bit that would solidify the communication fully. They cut it short. They do everything up until that point, but they don't give that little extra that would have made sure everything was appropriately communicated. This week, coaches, I want to challenge you. See your communication through. Give it the proper follow-through to make sure you make the basket. Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app being used by over 15 million people across the globe, helping get everyone on your team all organized all season long. That's TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to get started. Okay, so we're back. We're going to talk a little bit more about um, in the first half of the episode, we talked about efficient field goal percentage. We talked about how you're going to use the three, watching how other teams do use the three. Is it an inside-out three? Is it a big component of what they're trying to do? How easy is it to get those threes off? Because um, you, you're going to make a decision as a coach. How well do we want to guard the three? How much are we willing to live with that? And and what I'm, the point now that we're getting to is a lot of these teams, when you see some of these upsets and you see teams hanging around and the, uh, the, the better teams not able to pull away, you know, a lot of these teams who feel like they're undermanned are making the other team beat them from the perimeter. I've seen that play out multiple multiple times in the tournament so far where a team says, we're just going to make you shoot over the top of us. And that's a philosophy that the defense can choose. And the offense has got to decide, how am I going to counter that? Are we going to settle shooting the three? Are we not going to settle shooting the three? Are we going to continue to go until we can get the ball inside? Um, are we going to feed the post and try and play inside out? These are the kind of mismatches or match matchups in the course of the game that people are looking for and coaches are trying to make decisions about. And um, it's been really intriguing and interesting to see see that 
um, a, a lot of people say, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're in these big arenas and uh, as a team, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make them make shots. And that's where a lot of these lower field goal percentages and a lot of these underdogs have been hanging around is by not giving them those easy ones. I, I recognize that a lot of times, specifically in some of these younger teams like Kentucky and Duke, and, and you know they played a couple close games here early on, and they're making uh, freshmen make decisions, and they're really talented and gifted players. But you know everybody comes back to the playing field when you get out of a one-on-one situation when you start having to make reads the game changes. So you can watch a player throughout their high school career and maybe they're the most dominant player. Zion's an example when he goes on. Nobody's going to guard that one-on-one. Nobody's his size. But now all of a sudden he gets to a high level of college and you've got help and you've got help the helper and you've got multiple bodies and people are, every time you put the ball on the floor are crowding you and, and they start to look for these things. And then the game gets harder. It gets harder for anybody, but specifically those players that got away with being bigger, faster, stronger, and now it becomes a decision-making game. And Zion's a fine decision-maker, and you know he does a really good job of that. But they're conscious of um, making guys like that, R.J. Barry and these younger guys, and uh, th- you're going to have to do more than just get a one-on-one situation because you know your your players are better one-on-one. So to equalize that, they're trying to make multiplayer reads on the defensive end. That's a big adjustment that I see happening over and over again. So let me just recap those, and then we'll talk about a couple more. So you you want to pay attention to you know a field goal efficiency and what are you doing? The shot selection um, in the tournament. You know I think teams that have bad shot selection are are struggling. Um, there's some teams that have really good defense, but they struggle in their shot selection. They're having having trouble pulling pulling away. And then also there's a lot of really good defenses in here, not making it easy for offenses to get. Uh, good looks at the rim and so that's why you see not only uh, efficient efficient field goal percentage uh, struggling but field goal percentage in general uh, just struggling because of 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 the defense also uh, we're noticing the adjustment by coaches to to make them beat them over the top there's not been a ton uh, of pressure I say I probably see also less teams running zone uh, this time of year there's been a lot of man-to-man um, in these tournaments and, and not nearly as um, as much zone uh, played as you probably see in the, in the regular season. A lot of these teams, even if they're outmanned, are sticking man-to-man. I don't know what that, that reason is. It'd be interesting to know that. But even when you're watching 16-1s, 15-2s, a lot of them are just matching up man-to-man. I think a lot of it has to do with they feel like they can, they can continue to play a man that looks like or feels like a zone um, and keeping people in, in, um, in, in front of them. Uh, another thing that I've noticed, uh, what are good teams doing as you watch so many good teams in the tournament? Uh, good teams are rebounding the basketball, particularly watching um, guards rebound the basketball. In these games where there's upsets or, or teams that are not as, as good or hanging around, one of the things I know is the guards are um, going after and they're, they're, they're rebounding the basketball. So they're not just relying on bigs. Some of the better um, games I've seen played, so far have uh, a gang rebound mentality where the, they have all five players um, going to the rim and uh, and those guards are cleaning up uh, loose balls and they're making they're winning those 50 50s because they're anticipating 
uh, the, uh, going to get the basketball. And so I think all of us as coaches, one of the things, a lot of times we just rely on those bigs uh, to rebound the ball, but it's just a reminder to me how important it is to have guards that go chase down the ball. You know, it, there hasn't been a lot of, of transition, not a lot of easy transition this time of year. Teams have gotten better. You know, you might be a team that sets out to run a lot of transition early on in the year, but as the season goes on and the teams get better, and so does the defensive transition. Defensive transition is one of the hardest things to do, and offensive transition is usually well ahead of defensive transition, especially early in the year. But now defensive transition has started to um, – to catch up and one of the, you know one of the things i think teams are doing is they're getting better at getting back which usually leaves you you know five guys on your team that can rebound on the defensive end and they may have two or three uh, but if you're leaking out there and those guards aren't cleaning up rebounds, uh, you're giving up a really important advantage. And, and uh, you know, I've seen a lot of little things, even in the rebound game, hurt teams uh, this year. I mean, just got done watching UCF, and it was another free throw box out. Uh, Duke was down one, got the rebound, the putback. Otherwise, it would have been UCS ball up one and um, ended up being down one uh, box out. Not much different, I think, it was two years ago. The Final Four, I think it was Gonzaga, had a chance to win it over Carolina and missed multiple free throw box outs. And listen, great coaches, both UCF and Gonzaga are great coaches, but it's just a reminder of how the little things matter so much. Um, you know, as a coach, uh, it, just thinking about are we taking care of those little details? And there's so many details, it's not easy to take care of all those. But a lot of these games are coming down to simple uh, little things uh, like that. Are we are we making sure that we're preparing uh, for those types of things. The other thing I think is that, uh, you know, you see a ton of sets this time of year, um, but they're usually not a very effective. You see people having to come back um, to making a play, and you can run, you know, however many sets you want to run, but defense are just as prepared. They're practicing too. They're looking at what you're doing. They've guarded down screens and flare screens and all different kinds of things. They watch your set plays over the course of the year. It's usually coming down to breaking down and what kind of offense and how kind of movement are you getting, what kind of player movement, what kind of ball movement, what kind of spacing are you getting, not just the plays that you can run. Um, they're running good plays. They're running great sets to get some ball movement, uh, but a lot of them are not leading to scores. A lot of them, it's what's next. And so making sure that your team is, um, you know, good coach well enough and understands how to be able to make those reads because it's going to come down to players making plays uh, when you get down to the best teams that you're going to play against. And those players making plays is not just the better player. It's like, it, it has a lot to do with are they making them in space? Is the ball moving? Is the defense moving? Are they having easier reads because the defense is moving? Um, so how well uh, you've taught them to play offense and thinking about what kind of offense you run uh, that will allow them to create multiple difficult situations for the defense um, to guard. So I'm going to give you an update after the next round, but those are some of the first couple things that come to mind in just watching, you know, efficiency, field goal percentage, and turnover percentage. If you won both of those, you're 15-0 and 0 in the tournament right now, which speaks volumes to me. You know, I think that's the kind of team that, you know, I'd like to have. And like I said, it works on both ends. Um, uh, you know, however you may create turnovers or how you avoid turnovers, as well as what kind of field goals you're taking, what kind of field goals you're making the other team take allows you to win both of those. And those are decisions I've seen a lot of different types of styles um, win, even though I say and say in the tournament, simple, sound, and solid would be the one that I think is working the most right now. Teams that are just working to keep the ball in front. Um, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes we get enamored. I think sometimes with the stories that you see on TV, like that Wofford, for example, 
I was watching um, them play, and, you know, McGee, you think, you know, 0 for 12 from the three-point line. They didn't have a good night shooting, whatever. They still had a chance to win that game over Kentucky. Uh, it's because they're a lot more than just a player or what you hear. I mean, same thing with UCF and just getting beat uh, one by Duke, you know, and you hear Taco Falls, who's a great player and impacts the game. But a lot of times TV makes us stories about players, about certain individuals, about Zion doing this or Zion doing that. Um, and, you know, you've seen Coach K say it's just a dunk, you know, because everyone's asking about these dunks. Coach K knows that's not what's going to win ball games. I mean, he knows that we got to have an effective uh, basketball team. So while you're hearing all these storylines about different players and they're really interesting and uh, could take you down a different road, you, you got to just read in, in through that. I mean, I think watching Fletcher McGee go over 12 and seeing Walford just reminds me of what a great job that team does how together they are how great uh, coach young does of coaching that basketball team they're a lot more than a shooter you know they've been hanging around for a long time i was happy to see him get a tournament win but you know same thing with uh, you know belmont and, and liberty and all these teams that are making you know early runs they're just they're solid basketball teams they're just doing really really good things and you hear about a player that had 12 or a player that had 15 or you know a player that's doing this or a player that's coming out of nowhere uh, but most of the time you don't win games this time of year unless you're really well coached and you have uh, really good players but also they're doing it together and um, I've seen a lot of teams um, you know there's a lot of teams over uh, the course of this first weekend uh, just play simple sound solid basketball and give themselves a chance uh, to be able to win because the pressure is going to mount. I mean, you you take those teams that are favorite, their pressure is mounting over there. Every little jump shot that doesn't fall just becomes a little bit more pressure, and that pressure mounts the more times you make them miss those jump shots or at least take contested jump shots. They're not getting many easy looks. Um, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of different takeaways, a lot of different uh, thoughts from from the first round. I'd love to hear your thoughts, things that you saw on the first weekend of the tournament from a coach's perspective, not the story and the storylines, but what do you see actually playing out? What did you learn uh, this weekend and, uh, and and what made you better? I think we're always trying to watch the game with the eye of a coach because we're watching really well-coached teams play this time of year. Um, and, and there's also a lot of well-coached teams sitting at home, just may not have had the players. But these are you know really good players, really well-coached teams, and there's a ton to learn over watching four, five, six, seven, eight games a day. So, hey, let us know at, at Hardwood Hustle, uh, what are you learning when you're watching these games with the coach's eye? Uh, you can tag me at Coach TJ Rosine. I want to know. I want to be looking for the things you're looking for. I want to go back and watch the games where you learn something. So let me know what you've seen so far, and uh, let's chat about it. Thanks for taking time, and we'll uh, hear it, see you again later this week. This is the Hardwood Hustle, and I'm TJ Rosine.